Was that Chinese or Dai? That was Dai, okay. I, th I thought it was. I couldn't tell. <laughs> uh, just a real quick story about languages. Uh, years ago, we had a delightful young woman who went to college here and stayed for a few years and took a job. And uh, she was born and raised in Japan, the, the daughter of missionary parents. And the bells have... You guys, move over here some. Okay, the bells have knocked off some of you. I won't be able to see you so you don't fall asleep. So everybody, everybody at the left of David, David's right, move over. Just move over some, okay? All right. Anyway, no details left unattended here. The, her, her, her dad had been in, in Japan for 20 years, was a wonderful uh, man, uh, knew ja Japanese very well, and he was preaching in a small hamlet in South Georgia the middle of nowhere and so after we preached on missions the pastor came up and said he said uh, brother could you please uh, close us in prayer but could you please close us in Japanese and he, he told me he said I've spoke Japanese for 20 years but at that particular point my mind just went blank he said I just forgot everything I learned I stood there and I he said the only thing I could remember was counting numbers and so he so said, with the greatest reverence I could muster, <laughs> I, I counted from 1 to 20 in Japanese and said, Amen. <laughs> and then he said, you know, of course, the, that church, the pastor and the guest speaker went down the aisle during, as they were recessing. And as we're going down the aisle, he said, you won't believe this. Somebody stepped out and said 21 to me as I was going down the aisle. <laughs> so so you, you, you never know. You never know. Well, we are, in, we are in the midst of this elevator statement of who we are as a church. Four, four specific statements that you can give in 30 seconds. Statement number one is we are a church that believes in the absolute authority of the Bible. And we believe that the Reformation was a recovery of the principles of of biblical truth regarding salvation. We believe we're saved by faith alone through the work of Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And number two, we are people who are missional people. We believe that Christ is the only way to be made right with the God who is, that there is an eternal God. And in the fullness of time, this eternal God became a man and lived among us and died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death. That was determined in the council of eternity before time began and we glory in that and so we preach that to the ends of the earth number three we are a bible uh, people who believe in community and relationship that flows out of community and number four we're transgenerational so this morning is community we are community people we are relational people because god is a god of relationship god and the eternal counsels of himself and his trinitarian nature has always been in relationship and he made us as relational people therefore we believe in community we believe in the importance of of being in one another's lives that that the christian life is not a single person sport it is a team sport it's a team effort the the, the so let me, as I get to that, let me ramp up by, by saying the joy of the Christian faith, that which gives us great confidence and joy and peace 
is understanding that we are the Lord's forever by the work of Christ. In Romans 5, verse 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Justified by faith. But then he works it out and he says in verse 9, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? What what do I mean through his life? The, the, the ongoing work of Christ as our high priest. The glory of it is, is taught in Hebrews chapter 7. Listen to Hebrews 7, verse 24 and following. Saved by his life. How much more? We're going to be completely saved. Listen. Now, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. See, Christ is interceding for us in heaven. He not only died on the cross for our sins as our substitute, he was risen from the dead for our justification. He is ascended into heaven, and he prays at the right hand of the Father that we would finish strong until the end. Jesus says in clear language, In John chapter 10, my father is greater than all. No one can take you from my father's hand. Nothing brings joy like the knowledge that Christ is my substitute. I am in him and what he began, he will finish until the end. We are complete. We are saved. We are secure in him. It's glorious. It's glorious. But there is a teaching in the Bible that says this, that that in and among the people who say there are believers, there will be people who are what the older people refer to as temporary believers. They refer to it as spurious faith. They they refer refer to it as, as mere professors. In other words, there'll be people who are part of the church, who may worship with the church for a few years, who are with us, who are there, but they never truly were regenerate. They never truly were born again. Romans 9, verse 6, in talking about the children of Israel, says this, Not all of Israel is Israel. Matthew 7, Jesus says, On the great day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, did we not preach in your name and cast out demons in your name and in your name do miraculous works. And Jesus says, I will tell them very plainly, depart from me, you evildoers. So so as we we rejoice in in glory in the goodness of Christ and all that he has done for us, our security in him, we, we, we stop, we step back and we say, you know, But the sign of my salvation is continuing to the end. The sign that I am secure in Christ is I produce fruit in keeping with my repentance. Yes, I struggle with sin. Yes, I fall. Yes, I falter. But I don't stay there. I get up. 
by the grace of God because I belong to Christ. And if I have the Holy Spirit, I am compelled to go forward. And we live in a culture that teaches easy believism. Just raise your hand or fill out a form or be baptized and you're in. And baptism is wonderful. Making a decision for Christ because God is working in your life is when you begin the journey. But the journey has a continuing, ongoing effect. And if, if, if we were to determine who are God's chosen people, who are the people in whose lives God has worked, if, if those people had a, a, a red dot right here on their uh, right or left hand, we would go around and say, show me your red dot. But they're not. They don't do You wouldn't do that. So, so, so what do we do? And that's what I want to preach about this morning. What, what, what do we do? How, how do we discern those who are in Christ? Listen to the passage we'll look at this morning. This is Hebrews chapter 3. See to it, brothers, verse 12, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. We come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. How, how do you know that you're in the Lord? Man, I, I, I hold firmly now what I believed when God saved me. Firmly till, uh, until the end. And so in this book of Hebrews, it's addressed to people who were wavering in their faith. It's interesting. He, the, the writer of Hebrews starts with, where well, we should always start, the supremacy and the glory of Christ. He says in chapter 1, God after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many, many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the world. The Son is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of His nature. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He's the heir of all things. He made all things. He is God. He upholds all things by the word of His power. And after He provided purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Behold Christ. The first thing we do is say, we say, behold the glory and the majesty of Christ. We always start there. And then then he goes on. He he unfolds his argument. He talks about the supremacy of Christ and the glory of Christ. And then he says this in chapter 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. He says, church, don't drift away. Don't don't, don't just, just slide away. And then he gives these two if statements. Chapter 2, verse 6. He says, It is not to angels that that he has spoken. He says, But there is some place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him and and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. Look look at the glorious position of man. And then what he says in chapter 3, verse 6. Six, he says, but, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on our courage and the hope of which we boast. And, and again, again, verse 12, he says, of chapter 3, 
for, for we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly the confidence that we had at, at the very first. How do you know you're in Christ? You hold on. You persevere. And then in Hebrews 10, he gives this statement that really would be a beautiful greeting card commercial. It's a greeting card commercial. It's 24 and 25. He says this. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works. Let us not give a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of judgment. Let's, let's meet together. Let's encourage each other. But then you read the next two verses and he drops the, a load of bricks on your head. He says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. He says, listen, church. He says, Meeting together and being encouraged and strengthened and built up isn't an option. It's not a block you check off every third week. It is something you give yourself to. It is something you remind yourself of. Because if if you slip, if if you fall back, if you continue sinning without repentance and regret, and some people live at that zip code who claim Christ, there is, there is nothing left for you to look forward to but a fearful, horrific judgment at the throne of God. You see, being involved in the body of Christ, being part of who the, the kingdom is, is, is a sign of our salvation and our walk with the Lord. It's a sign that we truly are in Christ. We're saved by faith alone, but it's a faith that produces fruit. Don't ever get confused. The root system is faith in the finished work of Christ. Period. But their results. Look at this confessional statement. The faith which receives and rests on Christ and his righteousness is the sole means of being made right with God. Justification. Yet it is never alone in the person justified, but is invariably accompanied by all other saving graces nor is it a dead faith for it works by love galatians says that we're saved by faith alone but not a faith that just lies dormant is fruit producing fruit this is who we are and so we come to this text I'm going to just walk with you through it and point out some principles. But I want to say very strongly that, that the Christian faith was never meant to be a single-person sport. It is a team sport. I'm going to say this later, but I'll say it now. I love sports. Tennis players are okay. Golfers are okay. Distance runners are okay. I mean, it's a sport. It's okay. But I really love team sports. Where you know that your success is dependent upon the guys or the gals you're playing with. If you watch baseball, you'll, you'll see some 
some guys that have an earned run average of 1.5 or 2.6, which is incredible, and their, their win-loss record is 3 and 10. You say, what's wrong? Well, they play for a crummy team. They play for a bunch of losers who can't hit. And you see other guys who have an earned run average of 5, and, and, and they've won 13 games. What's going on? They're, they've got the 1927 Yankees batting for them. You know, Gehrig and Ruth and those guys who can jack it. I love team sports. God made us a team. So let's, let's just go to this text. Look at some principles. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The first principle, see to it, brothers. He's writing to believers. That none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart. See to it, brothers. See, you are responsible for each other. See to it, brothers. We're, we're called to be involved in each other's life. See to it, secondly, that, that none of us have, has a, 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 a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Or the God that gives life. Or the God who is glorious and good and gives life. We need to remind each other, we, we follow the triune God who is the life-giving God, whose name is Jesus, who says... I've come, you may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. With purpose. Passion. Strength. Now, now see, see to it, brothers. That's why in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is told in the Old Testament, says you're going to preach, nobody's going to listen to you. You're hard, they're hard-hearted people, don't get married, they're going to listen to you. Uh, it's going to be a long, long ministry with very little response. And yet, even, even as he's been told that, you go to Jeremiah 2, which is one of the key verses of the book, and it says this in verse 12, Be appalled, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares Jehovah. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living waters, and have dug their own cisterns, broken the cisterns that cannot hold water. Jeremiah's overcome as he writes. As you know, the Lord says... Be appalled. It says, be appalled that my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, life-giving, pure, intoxicating, joyful water. And they've dug broken cisterns that hold maggot-infested, bubonic plague water. And so we need to have people that walk with us and say, hey man, be careful. That water is bubonic plague, maggot-infested. Don't turn from the fountain of living waters. See, that's our response. Thirdly, our response is we encourage each other day after day as long as it's still called today. The word encourage here means to come alongside, to exhort, to build up. You encourage each other day after day, day after day, as long as it's still called today. So he underscores it with a red pen. Day after day, as long as it's still called today. Today, and I look at I look at fellowship. I look at encouragement. I look at coming alongside. I look at battling the world. And I say I say, well, there's just some adjectives I've written down that describe I believe what this text is saying. I could write many. I just wrote three. Number one, intentional. Intentional. But but when we get together, we don't get together and say, hey, hey, man. 
primarily love you. You're great. That's part of it. But, but we're talking about the living God. Isn't God glorious? Turns away from the living God. Isn't God wonderful? Isn't God almighty? Isn't God merciful? It's intentional about the things of God, building people up in faith. It's this intentional, it's life-giving. You're there for each other. You care for each other. I went to a funeral yesterday, sweet funeral. They said we're going to have a reception in the gym, probably 150, 200 people here. The community group of a, a dear woman whose brother had been sick for a long time put on this wonderful meal for everybody. The community group, they're there for each other. They're there. That's the way it should work. The people in our lives who, who know us and care for us. Um, it's, it's regular. It is regular. Regular. Needs, that, that word needs to be trumpeted in a culture of incredible mobility. Uh, I need people in my life who see me from week to week who know me, who observe me. I, I love to quote this, and I've quoted several times, Spurgeon, who died in 1892, the great British preacher, gave a sermon, and he said, I have been told there's going to be something that's mass-produced that will give people the ability to go places they've never gone before at a whim, and they'll be able to go places where they've never gone before in anonymity, which can lead to sin, and their travel will destroy to, to a degree, the fellowship of the church. And I always ask people, what was that horrendous device? The bicycle. Really, the bicycle. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, I, there, there are people who say, well, you know, I've been gone the last three weeks because of A, B, and C. Or I'm going to be gone the next four weeks. You won't see, or I just don't see you for a while. So I've been doing this, this, and this. And I, 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 I just, I sometimes... I, we need regular participation. In the, I need it. It's not hit and miss. It's regular participation with people who talk about Christ. And it's life-giving, life-affirming, life-questioning. That's what this text says. You do it day after day as long as it's still called today. So that, so that your hearts will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Even among God's most valiant people, man, the deceitfulness and the hardening of sin can come into your life. I read this quote the other day. It says, sometimes what once bothered us doesn't bother us anymore. What once activated our conscience doesn't seem to anymore. What we knew was outside of God's boundaries and therefore was functionally outside of ours, lives inside our boundaries, and it doesn't matter to us anymore. It's a scary place to be. That's, uh, that's out, out, outside of, uh, of Scripture. I got up Monday morning and saw this picture in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, this was a taken last weekend in Washington State. They just voted for homosexual marriage 
this is one of the first couples married in that state. And I, I look at the picture, and everybody's so happy, and they're smiling. And let me tell you what, what hit me. It hit me just for two seconds, but it hit me. I said, they, seem, they just seem happy. Maybe, maybe we should just kind of quit talk, talking about this stuff. And, you know, I said, no, no, no. I don't want to grow comfortable with what God says is wrong. And so there's a catalog of sins in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following. Read them. It says adultery, adultery, homosexual behavior, theft, drunkenness. And, and people said, do you, are, you guys pick on people that are homosexual. No, no, we don't. We, we love people that are homosexuals. We, we, we want them to come to faith in Christ and to live in a God-honoring way. If, if, a, if a group started saying that it's okay to be drunk all the time and to drive drunk and we want to celebrate being drunk all the time, we stand up and say drunkenness is a sin against God. And if you continue in a lifestyle of, of drunkenness with an unrepentant spirit, you face an eternity of judgment. But I don't know anybody that's doing that. Last time I read, it was, it was mothers against drunk driving, not mothers for drunk driving. See what I mean? But we have, we have people that are standing there saying, no, this, is, this is normative, this is fine. And God says, no, it's wrong. So we, we, we need to be together and say, how do we love people who are trapped in these sins? How do, how do we express the mind of Christ to these dear people? And how do we stand against that? There's a group of young men who went to our, graduated from our schools last year from our church. And, and uh, They've gone to school together, and they live together, and they go to Bible study together. It's a state school. They call themselves the Swedish volleyball team because they're all blonde-headed. And, uh, but, but they guard each other's back. They went to school for that express purpose, and they're doing well. I won't tell you what school they go to. I'll just say it's the public schools in the upper part of our state. And they, at the home football games, the school has a right where they rub a a Mesopotamian infertility rock <laughs> and charge down the hill as 82,000 people dressed in orange scream like banshees. So that's the school they go to. And I thought, that, that, that's what we need. See, you, you, garden, you, you guard your heart from the deceitfulness of sin. The sin is deceitful. You remind, remind each other, man, sin is deceitful. It's deceitful. Even the Greek word for skin, for, for deceitfulness, sclermo. Just an ugly sounding word, sclermo. Have ever anybody ever named their dog sclermo? No, because it's a horrible thing. Sin is deceitful. You see, sin, sin, sin questions. Starts off by questioning the goodness of God. That's where it always begins. Randy Elkhorn says in a wonderful book called The Pleasure Principle, Satan's greatest victories and our biggest defeats come when he gets us to ask, should I choose what God commands me or should I choose what is best for me? Those are not opposed, by the way. It says the very framing of the question shows how badly we are deceived. We question the goodness of God. I think of the children of Israel, that's really the context of Ephesians or Hebrews 3, the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 16. And sometimes when you read Exodus, you just go, really? So here they are. They've just been supernaturally brought out of Egypt. 
Their backs are against the Red Sea. They've, been, they've seen the Red Sea supernaturally divided. They've seen their enemies supernaturally drowned in the Red Sea. They're, they're heading toward the Promised Land. And they're running low on food. And this is what, they, this is what the community cried out. And... Uh, Exodus 16. The Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. I said, Really? How many times have I done that? Lord, you say you're provide, you say you're, you're good, but I, 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 I don't know. I think, I think I know better than better than you do. So, so sin questions the goodness of God. We buy the lie. Sin doesn't deliver. We live a guilt or a defeated or a grumbling life. So, let me give you just three principles in the in a few minutes in this text. Number one is see to it, brothers. In other words, be careful. We need to be watchful because, church, we deal with indwelling sin. No matter how hard you go for Christ, you still deal with indwelling sin. You'll never be done with sin to the day you die. So we deal with it. We've battled the devil, our flesh, and the world every day. We, we, we deal with it. It is in our hearts. And this horrific thing that happened Friday, I've tried not to watch much TV because it was just horrible but the, the governor of connecticut made a, a statement and he said this the first first statement is today evil walked among us and i went wow amen amen evil there's there's evil out there there's evil in the worldly system there is remnants of sin in me i deal with it every day I didn't bring the words up, I forgot to bring the words, but Frank Sinatra has this song that I've, I've enjoyed hearing, and I never listened to the words, I just enjoyed his incredibly gifted voice, and I did it my way, you know. Have you ever read the words? Good, man, good. That will be, that, that will be the call to worship in hell. I'm serious. I did it my way. He says, I don't kneel to anyone. I did it my way. Regrets? I've had a few. Really? A few? How about working with the mafia? That's one. How about a string of broken marriages and relationships? That might be two, three, four, five, six, eight, fifteen. I did it my way. Listen, in hell they sing it, I did it my way. I'm the captain of my ship. I'm the master of my soul. The poem Ozymandias, look upon my steer and tremble. And the statue's buried in the sand. Watch, watch, watch. Listen, number two. God's appointed means of prospering and finishing well is encourage each other day after day as long as it's called today. Sometimes you meet people and they're old and they die and you say, man, they finished well. Like they're gold medal winners. Listen, Finishing well is the biblical norm. We were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus and finish well. I want everyone here who names Jesus 
means Jesus to finish well. One way you do that, one of the primary main ways you do that, you have people who come alongside you and they speak to you and they build into your life and they, you build into their life and you care for them and they care for you. But that's just it. It's a church. Small groups. If you don't have people who are regularly walking with you, talking about Jesus, encouraging you, laughing with you, weeping with you, you are missing a primary means, a primary means of going strong in Christ. If you just show up, it's great. We have women's groups, man to man. We have community groups. Number three, there should be an urgency about this. This is day after day. Encourage each other day after day, as long as it is still called today. Day after day. See, the Christian faith is not an individual sport. It's not a distance runner doing an ultramarathon. Last week, a young guy received an award called the Heisman Trophy. And when he stood up, he gave a very good speech. If you want to go to YouTube and Google it, it's really good. But he, he started off by thanking his mom and his dad and his coaches. And then he named every one of his offensive linemen. Oh, God, that distracts me. By name. Texas A&M is on the left. He named every one of his offensive linemen by name. You know Why? You know, you know what you call a quarterback whose offensive line doesn't block for him? Dead. <laughs> Dead. I mean, you're standing there. You're not that big. He's not very big. And these guys get a running start, and they've got their heads down, and they weigh 285 pounds. You hit two or three times like that, you decide to take up ping pong golf looks real good that's the Christian faith who's, who's blocking for you who is it who's asking you questions who, who's in your life See, we think that this is vitally important to church and, and so the elders said this you know we've, we've had a full-time small group pastor, and then we went to part-time guys that kind of took it on, and they said, no, this is so important. We want to have something that's fully committed to developing small group systems in our church because, because of the teaching of the Bible. That we, we believe this is vitally important. And so we did a search, and we've asked Steve Heron, who's been on our staff to now become our small groups pastor. I'm thrilled with that, and I pray for his success. But that, guys, this is important. My question Pray for Steve. Pray for this ministry. We need one another. Intentionally, Christ-centered, life-giving, regular. We need the body of Christ. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And thank you that we can open the book and receive from you. Thank you for the tender mercies of Christ that you pour into us day after day. Thank you, Lord. Um, thank you for 
the, the opportunity to be in a body of believers where we have small groups that speak with intentionality and point to Christ and they're regular. Um, th- thank you that one of your primary means of, a, of, of, of seeing that we finish well with our cells full of the wind of the Holy Spirit is to be in the body of Christ. To be with brothers and sisters. And we thank you in Jesus' name.